Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Retro Time Podcast. I'm Jeremy. I'm Derek. And Derek. Oh, man, Derek, I can't wait for this episode. Do you know why? Why? Because I got a brand new mic, and I am so excited to, to hit a little bounce, hit bounce on here and get it out to you and hear what this thing sounds like. I'm pretty stoked, man. I've got my, uh, for those who don't know me, I, I don't have a recording studio or anything like that. I was recording in the closet. I think we talked, at one point in my, at the old house, I, if you remember, I was actually recording in the car. <laughs> Do you remember that? When it rained? When it rained that day, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I don't have anywhere to record. But I got the new house now, and I have a closet that's like just barely big enough for me to step into. I wouldn't call it a walk-in closet. Walk-in closet is definitely a misnomer. Um, but I put a little like folding desk in there, and I have a little stool. I built some shelves. I got this little like sound panels and stuff, and I got a new mic. I don't know. We'll see, man. I hope this sounds pretty good. I feel I feel like a semi-pro. I feel like a semi-pro podcaster that makes no money. Can you be a semi-pro podcaster who makes no money? Yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. that's possible. You're not pro till you make money, right? Um, I take I well, I say no money. We made two dollars. Yeah, so we're. We're professional. So, <laughs> thank you, Rachel. Rachel for the two. The two. Actually, it was one person bought two stickers. <laughs> <laughs> one person. Uh, by the way, get them before they're sold out. Sound like hotcakes. Yeah. All yeah. right. Oh, I got man. this new mic. I got this new. I don't know anything about sound though. So I, I, you know, we'll see. I feel like I need to. You know, if I were made more than two dollars, I'd hire like a sound engineer to come like fix my closet up to make sure it's, uh, you know, sounding right. But I'm a drummer. I just I hit things with sticks. I'm pretty simple. I'm a simple man. Simple man. Simple yeah, the, man. Uh, That's it. The sound stuff is something I've actually been researching because um, I have a. You'll probably hear some echo in this uh, in this recording, but I have a um, a room that's like I somehow convinced my wife by like having it be my idea and then sort of like saying saying it enough to where it became her idea. It was my trick. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're using it as like a studio, like a recording studio. So she wants to record her voice and write songs. She's writing songs and stuff. And uh, and I'm learning about acoustic treatments for walls and how to like where to put them and little techniques and bass traps and um, mouse traps, mouse traps, uh, bass traps, all kind of traps. So yeah, it's uh, it's all good. And uh, we're as we as we set it up and get more you know you know stuff installed, uh, you'll hear uh, on sort of an improvement in the quality of the audio. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I bet nobody listening will ever be able to tell the difference. No, they won't. I actually put effects on it so <laughs> that you don't hear engineers. the echo as much. But All these all these software engineers, UX designers, uh, nobody knows. I, I tell you what, nobody told me when we started doing a podcast that I'd have to worry about like sound engineering and stuff. Uh, otherwise, I would have uh, I would have uh, just skipped it. I skipped said, Let's it. just talk on the phone, Derek. It's too much, too much effort. <laughs> Look but, at you uh, now. Yeah, so everything's new, man. Everything is new now, Derek. Yeah, man. New stuff, new new uh, mics. We got new sound studios. Uh, we got new teams at work. Mm-hmm. New teams, man. I miss new our old team, though. You know, too. I do. I miss. I mean, I love my new team. The new team's fun, but I tell you what, these old folks we used to work with, I I miss the hell out of them. I really do. But mm-hmm. so we've got um, new teams now, and so you know, one of the things that we've had to kind of adjust is, is, is losing their old team, man. I mean, like, you know, we all got laid off and the team got laid off and we all went our separate ways. And now we're, you know, trying to adjust and, and, uh, settling into, to new work, new teams, new structure, new personalities, new, you know, management hierarchy structures and new products and, and everything else. And, um, I tell you what, it's been, it's been an adjustment. It's been quite an adjustment. 
for sure man the move the the challenge i think to me is just you build up relationships with people you build up friendships and the way you do that a lot of times is through naturally just hanging out you know going to see a basketball game together going to play basketball some basketball related activity carrying a basketball together uh, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But yeah, you can do karaoke. Uh, uh, Tokyo, Tokyo Kitty. Kitty. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Now that we live in Cincinnati, we got to go to Tokyo Kitty. <laughs> once all this uh, things change. Um, it's on my list. But yeah, man, I think the, the thing for me, just because we're all remote, getting to know people is just uh, a little bit tougher because, you know, you build up those relationships. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the other thing, too, with um, with the whole... whole uh, you know, new, new team. It's, it's not even just new team, new personality. It's, it's just new ways of working nowadays, you know? And I would imagine anybody who has had to find a new job because of COVID over the last, you know, six months to a year, um, it's been quite an adjustment, right? Uh, going from working in an office with a bunch of people you knew to suddenly working completely remotely with a brand new team, people you had never, you know, met in person, perhaps, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, what do you do? How do you, how do you get in a, in a groove? How do you become successful at that? Yeah. Doing it remote definitely makes it challenging. I think there's a, there's the, like a hierarchy to the importance of how you sort of join a new team, you know, of the different yep. categories and aspects of it. So like, Getting to know the people on your team, if you don't it, start there, everything else mm-hmm. is going to be so much harder because yeah. it's it's not just because you don't know them. It's because everything you say is in the context of how they perceive you. So like if I ask for if I ask a question, can you give me access to this tool? Why, why are you asking me like that? Like you don't know me. You know, it's like it's right. like your tone could be misconstrued and all this stuff. So, Especially if it's over the internet, right? If you're right. over a chat app like Slack or email or or something, um, you lose all of that, you know, sort of friendly demeanor. You might, you know, in, in a normal scenario when we're at the office, you're like walking over somebody, hey, what's up, man? Oh, you had a good weekend? Oh, great. You know, you miss all the small talk um, and you just jump right into business, <laughs> you know, and that yeah. becomes sort of off-putting, I think, to a lot of people, at least Americans, you know, I'm not sure uh, – I'm not sure that, that people in other cultures might feel the same way. You know, like we worked with the teams in Poland for a while and they seem to all be very just matter of fact down, you know, just straight to business. Um, you know, not everybody, obviously this is generalizing, uh, but you know, the, the culture in different, in different offices, certainly even if you're working for a, a new global company and um, you're working with a distributed team across the globe, um, that's a, that's really tricky, right? That's a challenge. Like trying to talk with people maybe in India or people in Europe or people, you know, in the, in the East coast or the West coast, if you're from, you know, somewhere else, um, that's, that's quite a challenge in itself. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, I, I actually have a term for that. Um, being remote, um, is one thing, but extreme remoteness when you have extreme people, remoteness, when you have people that are not just apart from you, but are outside of like your working windows, you know, so mm-hmm. like, oh, different geez. time zones. Yeah, and, like, and it's yeah. not just like we can connect, but when I'm tired, you're just waking up. And so yeah. our rhythms are going to be off. And it's just, there's all kinds of different um, levels to it, you know? Yeah. That's, you know, um, when we talked with Pam Cokey a long time ago, uh, working automatic. That that's the kind of company that I'm thinking of when um, you know that might be like a huge culture shock if you're not used to it, 
um, you know, working uh, with a team in in one central location in in a city in an office, and then suddenly the next day working with a team who's spread out all over the world, you know, yeah, um, and having to work within their time zones and and language barriers perhaps, and you know the idioms that we say, and like you know the um, I was work I, I work with um, a woman from from China. And she was telling us how these idioms that we say <laughs> as Americans just confused the hell out of her. Like the first few uh, months that she worked uh, for the company where we work. <laughs> and she just like would have to go Google like stuff we would say. And she's like, what are you guys even? I don't even understand you. You know, she's like, you're speaking English, but I don't understand what you're saying. And I think a lot of times we take that for granted, too. Yeah. I mean, come on. Talking about we were in the ballpark, right? <laughs> You know, because like a lot of times, even like if sports references and things like little weird, little weird uh, things like that, we I'd always say them, and they'd be like, uh, "What? What do you mean? What do you, What do you mean by that?" Like, because it's, it's so, some of that stuff just isn't isn't popular everywhere, isn't um, used. Yeah, well, I think yeah, I think for us, like Americans especially, I think we we kind of assume that everyone understands what we're talking about because right. it's in movies. <laughs> because we're maybe that's why I think it. Yeah, like, right. like well, you've maybe. seen The Sandlot. You have to have seen The Sandlot. I've absolutely something. seen The Sandlot. Um, probably a million times. Yeah, exactly. But have, have people in Europe seen The Sandlot? Have people in Asia seen The Sandlot? It's like such a stupid thing. Like, why do I think everybody's seen the things I've seen? <laughs> it's a good Seinfeld reference, like, might get them, but I don't know. Other than yeah, that, Seinfeld, Friends. Definitely. I'm sure. Yeah. Friends? Friends, probably. I'm sure most yeah. people have seen Friends. Um, if you haven't watched uh, Friends, you are not of this earth. <laughs> I, went, I went to visit my buddy in Prague once and uh, he was, everybody, like, I would meet people from there and they'd be like, do you watch Friends? Because they were like trying <laughs> to connect to me and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, yeah. he's like, yeah, it, it's like, it's really big here. And I'm like, what? <laughs> friends is really big here? It's Ross and Rachel like 20 friends? years after it went off the air. Yeah, I'm like, really? So, um, But what are we talking about? So we're talking about though, like building these relationships with these people, right? I mean, so you yeah. find those uh, those those connections. You talk about friends. Right. You talk about something. It makes it impossible to do anything if you can't build a relationship with your team. Exactly. Yeah. It's it it yeah. stops you. It stops you dead in your tracks. And to get to where you need to get to next, that next level, uh, where you kind of really figure out what you're building, like what are we actually yeah. building together. You know, to get there, you know, you, you're basically blocked. But that really, to me, is the next step, you know. Um, get to know Get to know your kind application. of your application, the product you're building. And sometimes it's more complicated right. than just your application. Because you mm-hmm. may have to ask, well, who uses my application? Oh, okay, it's not as easy as that. It's my application is like downstream from a few others, you know. Mm-hmm. So figuring out the way people use the ecosystem of the things that touch your application is, you know, probably the next step, you know, uh, once you kind of feel like you have a good base in that relationship stuff. Yeah. So this is where I I would say, you know, the UX team, if you have a UX team, Mm -hmm. (laughs) hopefully you have a UX team or a UX person at least, uh, this is where I think they can come in because they've probably got quite a bit of artifacts to review that can really help you understand the application, why the application exists, what problem uh, the application solves, you know, if it is like something in a downstream, it probably solves one one piece of that larger puzzle. Why does it exist? Who are the users, right? Uh, you could check out the personas or user roles or whatever they might call them. Um, they might have, you know, persona cards. They might have empathy maps. They might have 
um, you know, service blueprints or something like that. That'll give you an idea of, you know, how the app is used, who uses it, things like that. You know, and, and I think for me, at least, that's something critical, understanding the application, um, what the application does, why does it exist before you ever jump into the specifics and the technical, get, you know, get lost in the weeds. You know, you want to look at everything from a high level. Yeah, because if you go, if you don't start there, if you don't start at the high level, you're going to be so confused when you start to see how things are pieced together. You'll have absolutely mm-hmm. no context. Um, yeah. And it's not, it's thing is like all this stuff, stuff sounds logical, but it is so common for people who are given the role to write code to go straight to the code. It is so common. It's it's like when you put it that way, it's like, well, why wouldn't I look at the code first? Well, because you don't understand how it works. You don't even understand right. the, the the basic like uh, flow of data or the how the system really functions. And it's let's let's say because a lot of people probably won't have uh, either a dedicated UX person, user experience, or maybe even a team. You know, so who else could they go to? To kind of get that information, if you had to give it like a recommendation, product owners, product managers, scrum masters probably know, should know at least, um, program managers, I don't know, t- uh, business uh, analysts, BAs, and, and that's the interesting thing about software is at Agile, I guess maybe more specifically, is you, you you tend to have people that do the same types of roles, right? Like people facilitate meetings, they uh, write user stories, they do discovery, they do research, whatever. Um, Depending on the team, you you might have different people that do some of those different things. There might be some overlap from different roles, but they might have different names. But at the end of the day, everybody, you got to find the people who do those things, right? You might call them scrum masters, right? I've been been like, I've seen, um, you know, uh, teams where, the person who writes the user stories, they might be the scrum master, they might be the technical product manager, they might be just a product manager, they might be the product owner, it might be the BA, the business analyst, you know, but at the end of the day, somebody is writing those stories of so finding those people that understand, uh, you know, the, the, the whole reason why this app even exists in the first place. Um, but those would be some of the roles that I think I'd, I would I would go out and search and 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 start having like you know one on ones with them maybe regular check ins until you feel like you get up to speed yeah that's good you know the other thing yeah the other thing that I think about too with this is um like back in in uh, college and stuff where I would like prepare for exams and tests uh, history and stuff especially to make sure I understood it I would explain it to somebody I would tell them the story or whatever mm-hmm. we're learning in history class or something like that and I feel like if you can start to tell the story yourself as if you're teaching it to somebody else kind of helps to really understand it. Cause as you, as you explain it back, you might realize, well, well, that doesn't make sense. I obviously don't understand that part of it. And then you understand what you don't know. And then you can go fill that, that gap. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because at first when I was thinking about this, I was thinking maybe it's a three tiered process. You get to know your team, you get to know the application, you get to know the code, but I think it might be four. And here's what I mean. Okay. So after you get to know your application, follow the kind of like sort of uh, recommendations that Jeremy just gave, really try to figure out how it works, what roles are involved. Um, There's this next level that I feel like doesn't get a lot of attention um, because it's not design and it's not code. It is the support and maintainability aspects of an application. So Hmm. what you may want to ask after you find out how it works is give us get a sense of how often does it go down for how long 
What brings it down? Who who gets upset when it goes down? Who supports it? How does it get supported? Oh, interesting. When so these kinds of questions are going to come from people who have experience in the industry. And I've noticed this. These questions do not come from like like junior level developers because they've never experienced an application going live, having to support it, having to deal with the daily issues. And once you understand those things, and then you start to understand the broader priorities of the business and what they want to do with this application, like what does it do, but what do they want to make it? Like how it comes kind of comes into the question of why does it exist, but also like what should it be? And then you'll get the sense really quick about why it's not where it should be, you know, because either the code's the code's in a state where it can't be updated quick enough to meet customer demand. It has so many bugs in it that we're, we're inundated with support requests and we can't fix them quick enough to work on our, yeah. you know, features. So a lot of times it's, it's, it's a mix of a lot of things. But anyway, that next step is find out how it's supported. Yeah, I even think for like UX designers and people that are in the design industry uh, working in software, those are questions that are, are also really great to ask. Because uh, that also answers quite a few questions about your users and 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 their work and their workflow and how the application fits into their normal work, especially if you're, you know, an enterprise. And I think that's uh, those are actually some really great points. I love those, Derek. I don't Here for think you, I bro. Actually thought about that before. Here for you. As a as an architect, I had to start kind of thinking about um, a lot of different aspects of the system, and it start it's it's really it made me appreciate that like. Things that I didn't think were like priority items are like really important, you know, things like the support process, the, the support culture, even like if there's an issue when it goes, when the application goes down, who reacts first and what's the process there? And what if nobody reacts? What is the culture yeah. support um, and design too? Like when we talk, go back to getting to know your application um, in my role. That stuff's really important. So it's a lot of it is related to your role, what kind of questions you're going to ask, and how you're going to approach this new team and this new project or whatever product. You know, I was thinking you you asked the the specific people to go talk to. I'm I'm thinking like if even as um, a UX designer, you know, this is certainly true for a front end or back end engineer. But one of the people I would ask, I would say you go out and talk to and ask questions would be the, the architect, the software architect, someone who understands the back end and how everything is connected and things like that. And then I was thinking, like, what if you're the architect, Derek? Then what do you do? You're on your own. Good question. Good question. Um, still working on it. Still, still working, working on it. it. Trying to you figure have, it out. <laughs> you, have, you have to be like, you have to be okay with asking people questions a lot of times as an architect asking people who won't give you straight answers, um, understanding there's politics sometimes involved in that. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you know, for example, on my project, there's another architect. In fact, there are two other architects. Watch so, out. so that's why starting with building relationships, making sure you're coming from a good place initially that yeah. we're all in this together, that we're all trying to meet these goals inevitably what ended up happening is someone else recommended a, a, like a segregation of duties kind of recommendation. Um, these are really genuine, cool people I'm working with. So it's not hard, it's not hard to uh, work with them, but, but it could, it could be really kind of con, uh, contentious if people are vying for the boss's approval and whatever else, like, 
Um, so that actually that actually brings up a great point that is sort of the opposite side of this. Um, you know, we're talking about onboarding to a new team, but what if you were the team that a new person is onboarding to? Yeah. Right. Um, assuming that this person has good intent and isn't there to just, you know, try to steal your job or make you look bad to the boss or something or try to make themselves look good. I'm sure that happens sometimes, but hopefully um, we don't assume that everybody's doing that uh, at first. You know what it's kind of like? Uh, this here. is stupid that I'm giving this example considering I've never experienced this before. But like <laughs> imagine imagine you're going to war, all right? You're you're a soldier, you're going to war. And okay. there's like 10 people, this is such a stupid example. There's 10 people, <laughs> there's 10 people that are needed to fight this battle. And at the last okay. minute they realize they need an 11th person. How quickly can they get the bed set up? Can they get their equipment? Can they get them explaining what the mission is? Can they get the the uh, can they get their gun training and all that stuff so they can actually be productive in that mission to go fight whatever battle it is? That is what it feels like on a team, and I feel like when you have a, a structured organization uh, that at least can get you to the point of relevance within the team quickly, like within a mm-hmm. a, a day or two, um, you you. You come into a team feeling like, okay, this team has at least this together. Maybe everything will, will roll out. I had once had a, a teacher in high school tell me like past success will kind of guide toward future success. It's it's not always true, but like if you've, um, you know, if you generally, if you got pretty good grades, like in school, then, you know, chances are you'll probably get good grades in college and whatever. Um, and what I mean to say by that is if you start Depends a if team. if you join a band or not, Dirt. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but, or, but it's not always true because there are things that aren't tested and, you know, whatever you get what I mean. But, um, what I mean by that to say by that is if you start on a team and you notice, well, they have onboarding together, well, that probably means they have a few other things together, maybe not everything, but then you look at their code and you're like, well, their code looks pretty good. Mm. They, they, having, having some aspects of your quote unquote shit together would imply that other parts are well put together as well. Yes, of the quote-unquote ship. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly what I mean. And um, that that's right. something to pick up on very quickly when you're starting with a new team. It's also something to make sure you are aware of if you are on, onboarding someone and you do not have processes in place. This is something I learned from you, Derek. Um, for those who don't know, Derek is a documenting machine. Derek documents... Everything and it's like his his wikis are like so well put together and everything is just organized and cross referenced and cross linked and everything else. One of the things that I I kind of um, I, I think would be a, a great idea and I'll be perfectly honest I haven't done this <laughs> so <laughs> practice what I preach. Um, I need to start doing this. Um, but documenting your experience. Right. So as you're going through and realizing, you know what, I actually had a really hard time picking this up or I didn't get my as good information as I thought I needed in this area or I would have loved to get more information about this. If you start to document that, um, then it's possible, you know, not possible. It's likely that other people in the future will have that problem or other people had that problem in the past and just kind of, you know, sucked it up and just didn't say anything. Um, So as you're Team, maybe your team doesn't have great documentation, but, you know, your chances are good. You just got this job. You're probably going to stay there for at least a little while. Make the best of it. How can you help uh, f- plug the holes in their documentation or their onboarding or whatever other uh, areas where you think they might be able to improve? 
I learned that from you, Derek. Appreciate you, bro. You want to hear a joke? Let me hear a joke. So this is a joke about about this whole process. So what do you call a creature um, that uh, is there to guard Azkaban? It is, uh, and when it gets close to you, it feeds off your fear, uh, and it can only be expelled by a Patronus. And it is great at writing down things um, in relation to the work that it does. Is this a Harry Potter joke? Yes. It's, it's a documentor. Documentor. Oh, um, I get it. You, that's for the kids out there. Um, <laughs> I, have a, I feel so I, dumb. I don't, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, they, they'll Potter. like it. The kids you will like me. it. Um, <laughs> they'll understand what Sorry, it is. Sorry, kids. I know it's I'm okay. disappointing. Like I'm it. very disappointing. Um, but I'm yeah, I mean, thanks. Myself. And uh, that is something that I care a lot about because what I'm starting to notice is that even the people with the sharpest brains on the team, the ones that are, have been promoted to architects, that have been promoted to managers, whatever, don't remember things. <laughs> like, you just don't yeah. remember oh, yeah. things. Why did we make that decision 10 years ago, you know, five years ago? I don't remember. So if you don't find a way to write it down, that's not just like, oh, yeah, I wrote it down. Like, like very, like, just like brush it off. I write it down. Who cares? Um, that's how, that's how it sounds when you write it down. Um, it's like, it's like, I've been, I've dealt with it so much. And I've told you this before that once on a team, I was having trouble. And in order to get through it, I basically created the team's wiki, learned how that was supposed to be structured. And I documented the way the product worked. And the status of everything. And I tried to keep it organized. And I started to realize that just that activity made me know more about the product than everyone else. Because I had to go figure out where all the pieces were tied together. And I knew what the strategy should be. I was informing the bosses all of a sudden. All because I cared about the way the project was structured. And I cared about documenting in that way. Um, and I have like I have like all these stupid techniques now you build up over time it's more like someone who never learned how to play an instrument like never learned the notes this is what it's like it's like you never learn the notes but then you have all these opinions about how songs <laughs> should be written um that's how that's how i feel um so if ever you wanna, architect that's, that's a that straight saying, up Derek? yeah exactly. well you know it's, it's funny i i don't even think it's always that they forget i think a lot of times people just make assumptions that other people know things mm. You know, it's, oh, it's just common sense or, oh, we've just always done it this way or, oh, that was, yeah, you don't know what that means, you know? Um, I think the same could be said for like buzzwords, acronyms, mm. right? Um, you know, like people just say ABC, oh, you don't know the ABC, you know? And I'm sure, I guarantee you, I guarantee you there are at least 10% of the people on your team that have no idea what ABC means, but it's been, they've gone along with it so long that they feel incredibly stupid to ask what ABC means now. It's too late. Yeah. It's Davis. They pretended like they know what ABC means <laughs> for so long. Um, they now feel like a complete idiot asking what ABC is after all this time. Uh, and so when you're onboarding a team, um, instead of saying ABC, I don't know, like list it out and just say it's the, you know, blah, 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 blah. Instead of saying ABC, it does not save that much time to use these acronyms over and over and over again. And it just drives clarity for everybody, the new people, the old people, people that might be under a different assumption, assume they knew what ABC meant, but they were wrong. 
you know, I think that uh, I think that that's one of the things like I, I try to do when I join a new team is is just to to help drive clarity just for me, if nobody else. Um, the fact that, um, you know, using all these acronyms or buzzwords or whatever it is, um, it, it just doesn't it doesn't help onboard people at all. Um, there will be people in the future who are going to have the same problems. And I guarantee you there are people on your team now that don't know what those acronyms mean, even though they pretend like they do. You know, it's funny. I actually so I, I created this Outlook uh, rule a while ago. So that I could block, uh, you know, or send calendar invites for out of office to a, a spam folder, a junk folder. If it was like basically get it off my calendar because like, you know, we work for like a giant company and like I would literally get like 50 or 60 out of office invites like almost every week. And I just like if, if I kept it on my calendar, I wouldn't be able to see anything else. So I was like doing this thing. And I, what I realized was like, you know, you think of OOO out of office or PTO, like everybody had a different acronym for PTO or out of office, right? And so I actually end up having these rules for like like 15 or 16 things that all meant out of office or or paid time off or, or vacation because people like on this team, same team, we would all just use different words for the same exact thing. Um, but I think it's sort of like, it's, it's to me like a, a, a direct reflection of how different people interpret the exact same acronym. And how everybody interprets those acronyms like maybe slightly differently. I think every, like oh, out of office really PTO is a little direct. Everybody knows what PTO is out of office. It's more of like the the buzzwords that um you know are really specific to your team or your application or your company or something that other people probably wouldn't know if they weren't part of your team. But um, I think even like just the simple fact that everybody on this team had a different acronym for out of office shows that there's not even a shared understanding of a really common acronym like PTO. So do you really think that there's going to be a shared understanding of those really complex, specific acronyms or, or buzzwords or whatever you want to call them um, that pertain to just your team or your company? And I think the answer to that is probably not. So people are going to be confused. Just don't, don't let them be confused. Yeah. I think it's like, you know, when you meet somebody for the first time, a lot of the things that like, you know, they say not to judge somebody, but the first time you meet them, but sometimes there are things about them like that you can kind of gauge a lot of things really quickly by like, how they're dressed, the way they talk, who they, you know, who they associate themselves with, all this kind of stuff. And like, it's very similar to that. It's like, uh, if they're, if they mess up this simple thing, or if they, if they don't have a standard around this simple thing, there's no way they have a standard around anything more complicated. Yeah, that's true. Um, the, I have a funny example of this on my team, the app, the name of the application, let's just say it's ABC, uh, ABC used to be the name of like the whole platform and but they didn't change the name everywhere. And so now then like there are users that are for the main platform that are ABC, but it doesn't mean ABC the, the application. It means ABC the old legacy platform because nobody ever changed the names. Oh so that is another thing to watch out for is <laughs> don't assume that the name you're looking at is for the thing that it's meant to be for because it could have changed over the years, especially if it's an older product. Yeah, that's a great tip too, is just don't make assumptions that things are a certain way for any reason or another. Don't don't assume that people did it for right. a certain reason. Don't assume that something is a certain way unless you verified it. And I think this is maybe when you start to get to know the code. Um, but uh, yeah, don't make assumptions. Don't say, well, oh, if it, I, I just assume that they named it this thing or I assume that this named thing means this thing without actually digging into it and actually ver uh, verifying that that's true because you know somebody could have just been busy or lazy or not paying attention or trying to rush to get out to go you know pick up their kids from school or something so 
I don't know. Don't make any assumptions. Yeah. And you, you mentioned uh, the code thing, and that's kind of the last big phase. Um, and I don't want to go into a ton of detail. We've already talked quite a bit about the other aspects. But um, the core thing that like I would recommend would be to find somebody that has the patience to sit and let you work with them, like sit next to them um, pair, pair for an extended kind of period of time. Yeah, programming or just like getting your application set up, mm. like really test the patience of people <laughs> when you're starting out with code. Like seriously, because if you don't, you're going to get in the situ- in the rut where, man, I really should have asked that in the first week. And now I'm three weeks in and I feel stupid asking. Like I was on a project for like five years once and there was still stuff I didn't know five years in. So if you're three weeks in, you feel like you can't <laughs> ask a question, you can. Trust, trust me. me. You're still, you'll um, be the new, but you'll be the new guy for... <laughs> at least a year <laughs> depends how many new people come after you <laughs> right that's actually something you encouraged me to do when you joined the team because you were so inquisitive about everything that i'm like like i just want to i just want to help jeremy learn it because he cares so much about it you know do, baby um and that's that's how you'll come off you won't come off as annoying at, like you think yeah. you will even if you wait you'll come off as Oh, suddenly that person cares about this thing. That's great. Let me tell them about it. And so, and if you ever get pushback, like that's, that's a culture problem that you need to work on with management and with your team and maybe an indication of something deeper, you know? Yeah. Your, your team definitely should be willing to help you out because if you don't understand what you're doing, it's only going to make it harder for them. And if they don't realize that, then, uh, well, you might've joined the wrong team. I was just going to say, I once worked with a guy who he joined the team and in, I think like eight months, he committed one line of code and it was broken. Uh, it was actually didn't work. And the whole thing was he never asked enough questions to understand the system. Right. Um, at least from, the, from my perspective, the way I saw it. So to, like that's the extreme be that of it all, but don't get in that don't situation. Be that don't be that guy. Um, one yeah. other thing I would suggest, and this is something, Derek, you say all the time. And I think it's so true, especially in this sense. Start at the start. Start at the start. Don't start in the middle. Start yeah. at the start, especially if you're new to the team. Amen, brother. Start at the start. It's especially hard if you're an architect, though, man, I got to say, because you want to be like, no, no, I want I want to just get in and see like the the pipeline or the the deployment pipeline or something like that. Like, I don't even know how, I don't even know how to build it. <laughs> like, I don't know the command to build the application. Yeah. I don't know how many little pieces there are. I don't know, you know, like. Well, there's no reason I should start somewhere you know, the else thing, unless that gives me context. Yeah, well, that's the thing. That's it, right? The, the thing that I think, uh, and I, I've been saying this for a very long time, and I, it drives me insane when UXers assume that they're the only ones that can help solve a problem for an application. It drives me insane. Um, there are I've gotten so many great ideas from developers, from other people, people that are not UX designers about features or ideas on how to make a design better. And it happens so often. Um, But it's impossible to help bring really great input to the team if you haven't started at the start. And for me, that's going back and understanding why the app app even exists in the first place. Understanding the problem that it's trying to solve, understanding the reason why it exists, understanding who the users are and everything else. And to me, that's starting at the start. And I think I think anybody, I don't care who they are, they should be understanding who the users are, understanding the problem before they ever jump in the code. Um, and, and I think those are the types that like just add so much value. 
when they go and they start suggesting things in user stories or they look at, you know, they do an, they're doing sprint review or something or sprint planning and they can look at a feature and they say, well, that doesn't make sense because what I know about the user says this. Um, I can't tell you how many times that's happened. I say, yeah, you know, that's actually a really great point. You should be a UX designer. I'll, I'll just go sip margaritas on a beach somewhere. But uh, that, I think, is, is only possible if you start at the start. That's something you say all the time, Derek. I learned that from you. Yeah. I did want to give one pro tip, pro tip. for the code Give thing. Me. Hit me up. Pro tip. Here it comes. All right. If you want to learn a lot of things really fast about your product, you know how the application works in general. You know some of that stuff. But you're at the code sec, uh, part and you want to know a lot, ask someone and learn how long does it take and what are the steps when I make a change to one line of code and it gets to production. Mm. One line of code. I, I want to make one change to this one line of code. How long is it going to take to get to production? And what are the steps? If you learn that, you'll learn like more than half the team even knows. Yeah. Because very likely, people are assuming everything works because they don't have to be involved in that process, whether it's manual or automated. So that's a, that's been a tip for me as a start to get like a lot of information very quickly. So understand your pipeline. Pipe like, it up. Pipe, pipe, pipe. pipe All right. Down. So it up, wrapping it up, Derek, we, uh, we got a lot of stuff today to say, obviously. So what a few things, um, one-on-ones, do your one-on-ones, get to knows, get to know your team, um, turn your video on if you're remote and, and just let them, you know, see your silly little office in the closet or whatever you built. <laughs> um, you know, get, get to know them on a personal level. I think you'll find, uh, the sm- if, if you do turn the video on, you can see some stuff and you, like, Oh, what's that thing in the background? You might have something in common. Maybe you like the same sports team. Do you one-on-ones, um, ask a bunch of questions and don't be afraid to ask stupid questions. Ask as many st- – because you got – I feel like when you're new, you have like a window, a time where you can just ask all these stupid questions um, and nobody will uh, think anything less of you. Um, and uh, Or at least I'll say not a window because to me you should be doing that all the time regardless of how long you've been at the company. But most people I feel like will have like a window where they don't feel stupid asking a stupid question. So get your stupid questions in and and then even after that window closes, don't be afraid to ask stupid questions. It's never too late to ask a stupid question. Um, stop using acronyms, buzzwords. Just stop it. Just sound it out. Say it out. Whatever it is. Uh, start at the start, Derek. Start at the start. We should get stickers made. Let's say start at the start. Um, start at the start. D right there. Um, document your experience because if you've had problems, other people probably will too. Uh, what else? You got any other things, Derek? No, I think you nailed it. I think that's it for everybody. That's it, Retro Timers. We've got um, stickers online at RetroTimePodcast.com. Uh, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. You can find us. Just Google it. Um, Retro Time Podcast, all the, all the fancy uh, social media sites. Check us out. Stickers. Our offer still stands. You leave us a five-star review. Derek will write you a song. All right. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> See you next time. Take it easy. Derek, I heard you got a joke. Yeah. Me up. Yeah, I do. Um, thanks for asking. Uh, so <laughs> imagine me going up on stage and I'm starting my stand-up bit, okay? I got right. my mic in my hand. I'm starting my stand-up Love bit. It. Man, it sure is weird getting old. You know what I realized recently is it's... I'm in my 30s and it's the... Really, it was the first time I ever used a toilet brush. You know, I had a really good streak going. <laughs> That's my joke. <laughs> the toilet
toilet. Is there, oh. is there, I wanted to end the whole thing with a poo joke, so um, make sure everybody had um, a nice, you know, a nice week. Good and, Lord. And, uh, you know, tip your waitresses. All right, Derek. Thank you for that. Um, that was a nice joke to close out episode 16. <laughs> yeah, tell your kids. Tell your kids. They'll appreciate it. Pipe, pipe it up. Pipe, pipe, pipe.